Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beat this tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. Welcome to another episode of Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. Jamie, it's good to have you back today. Um, we got a full show. It's deadline day uh, in Major League Baseball. We'll talk possibilities later with R.J. Anderson. Plus, LeBron opens up about uh, the school that he opened in Akron and, and what teams he considered in free agency. But first, I think this will be a running theme for the week. Uh, we're going to have a, a photo of Danny on, on his vacation because I guess like he's all over Twitter. So, oh, check him out. I mean, did you know he was a musician? Um, I knew he was a jack of all trades, a musician. No, the guitar is really funky, though. It looks like a throwback. I think the face is really funky, though. I mean, <laughs> he's jamming, obviously. <laughs> I guess he, uh, you know, yesterday we we showed the picture of him potentially getting pulled over. So it yeah. looks like he's a little bit happier in this one. At least I would assume. Yeah, this is a little more laid back. I, he must have went Airbnb or VRBL. That's not like a hotel there. That's uh, could be could be someone's house. Yeah, nice digs, and drum set, and all that. Um, I, I gotta apologize because I forgot my IFB today, so I put us in headsets and. No worries, man. I'm yeah. used to this. All right. Uh, okay, bro. This is old hat. All right. So now I'm driving. Yes. Um, I'd be interested to, to see your thoughts at the end of the show because driving and riding shotgun on a show like this are two completely different experiences. Totally right? get it. We do our uh, Fantasy Football Today podcast, and I never drive, thankfully. So right. We have, we have a great host, Adam Mazur, and uh, uh, I'm sure you'll do you'll do fine. A reluctant driver? Like, I, I don't like to drive either, but do you find yourself, like, I'm a, I'm a backseat driver at times. Like, when I'm watching Danny, I'm like, man... Maybe he should have done that. And then I get in the seat, and I'm like, yeah, I could not pull off half the stuff he pulls off in the driver's seat. You're off to a good start, though. So. All right, well, let's ride, dude. We got All right, let's start with football. I mean, that's your wheelhouse, right? Let's go with uh, a, a segment that it's titled Rookie Expectations. So the Jets and their holdout with with, with uh, the standout stand, eh, the Sam Jets, Darnold. Yeah, Sam Darnold, the, their first pick in the draft. They end the holdout, so he'll be in camp. We got a little sound from Sam Darnold himself to set it up. What's up, Jets fans? Man, it's it's a pleasure to be signed now. Um, very excited. Very special moment. Um, let's do it. Jet up. All right. So, I mean, look, three pick in the draft, uh, reported four-year deal, $30 million guaranteed. Is the whole thing guaranteed? You tell me. Uh, no, it's not all. Um, I'm sorry. Yes, it, it is all guaranteed. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, these contracts are sort of set in, you know, place. There's a, there's a rookie scale right. that you guys deal with. So uh, this was the holdup was with some offset language. Uh, which I really don't understand. Right. Uh, so you, um, but you know, thankfully he's in place and I don't know if you saw, well, I'm, I'm sure you didn't see because, um, you, you are anti-social media. <laughs> um, got a standing ovation from his teammates or, or they, they clapped him into practice as he, as he showed up. So obviously the team is pretty excited that he's, he's finally on the field. That's pretty cool. What, what, so what do you think are reasonable expectations for Darnold as a rookie? Like, if anything. Yeah, he's got to win the job, you know, and, and the interesting thing about the Jets right now is they have a veteran in place, you know, who's, uh, got a lot of respect around the league and, and certainly in that locker room and Josh McCown he played really well for them last year before breaking his hand. They bring in Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that story and how that's all unfolded for him. You know, had the terrible injury sure. a couple years ago. And has fought his way back, uh, left Minnesota because uh, he was free agent and trying to, you know, resurrect his career. And there's some reports that he looks fantastic. Now, if you're the Jets, what you want to do is try and trade Teddy Bridgewater if you can. But Darnold's going to have to beat out both those guys. And my guess is he's not going to be the week one starter. He's probably going to be a midseason starter. But you're starting to see this with this rookie class that Baker Mayfield not going to start week one. Lamar Jackson's not going to start week one. And probably Sam Darnold, you know, just to, you know, bring those three guys at least together, not going to start week one. Josh Rose and Josh Allen, those two guys, the other two first round quarterbacks, they could start for their respective teams. But, you know, for Darnold, it's going to take him a little bit of time, I think, to sort of prove that he's, uh, that he's the guy there 
for the Jets. But I mean, you, you know, you obviously have been through a rookie season. Sure. Uh, what's that like? You know, when you first step into a franchise um, and expectations, not expectations, but what are your thoughts? You know, trying to sort of prove that you're the guy to be on the court. Yeah. Well, my experience was a little different because I didn't I didn't come in as like a number three overall draft pick. Um, so mine was like trying to make the club. You know, just trying to prove to people that I kind of belong there. Um, but I think in general, as a rook, uh, even if you do come in as a high pick, like you want to first like get the lay of the land and figure out like who you are and where you fit in in that locker room. Um, it's important, um, especially I would imagine in Sam Darnold's situation where there are people in place, like you have a Josh McCown and you, and you have Teddy Bridgewater that, uh, you don't overstep your bounds right away, but you don't concede that I'm here to just be like the third string quarterback right. either. Like I'm here to compete and that's a delicate balance, right? Like you don't want to offend. Uh, and come in like, yo, this is my team. I'm here to change the culture and the future of the franchise. And, you know, that could rub some vets, not just quarterbacks, but vets that have been there and that could rub people the wrong way. So you, you want to have a humility about yourself, a humbleness, you know, but you want to, you want to show that you're there to compete and that you will compete because that's how you ultimately, uh, you earn guys trust. I want to ask you about Teddy Bridgewater because you said, you know, about trading him. Like, is that something in the NFL that can be done? By looking good in the in the preseason, oh, for sure. Camp? Yeah, or, it, it may not happen. You know, prior to the year, there could be a quarterback injury to a team that they'll look to you know make a trade. But uh, the Patriots, for example, have been famous for this. They've done it twice um, with Matt Castle. You know, he yeah. had some preseason, then he had the the year where Tom Brady tore his ACL. They flipped him for I think it was two first round picks to Kansas City. But you know, monster trade where they were able to just use some small sample sizes. Yeah, and playing under Brady, the thought was that he was going to be great. He was okay, just never lived up to the hype. The last one was Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, again, got the three game uh, starts, three three starts for the Patriots when Brady was suspended with the Flategate and played well. Obviously, the preseason, you know, got the chance to showcase his skills a little bit. So this is a, a scenario where they'll put Bridgewater out there probably for a lot of the preseason action with the hope that some team will try to get giant, that value up. Yeah, I, I don't think they can get a first or second round pick, but maybe third or fourth round pick for Bridgewater. That's something that would be great for not only him, get a chance to start, and certainly for the Jets, they can get some value in return. All right, look, you're tracking these guys all the time, right? So how important do you think it is for a guy like Sam Darnold, um, or any rook for that matter, uh, missing days of actual training camp? Like how important is that this early in the process for for a rook? Um, and the nice thing is, is he's he's gone through some mini camp and and, and it's called OTAs, off season sure. activities. You know, so they they've given him opportunities to sort of you know learn the playbook and you know uh, I'm I'm sure he's ready to go. It's not like he's missed a month. You know, it, it's it's not one of those situations. You know, you do have one more holdout with Roquan Smith, the Bears linebacker, who's not in you know camp yet. And if he's going to be the signal caller on that side of the ball, that's going to hurt him the longer he stays out. Um, again, similar situation. If he's at, if he's back this week, if he's back next week, it should be fine. But if this lingers into the middle to the end of August, then it becomes a problem. But uh, I I think you know with with Darnold's situation, if he was walking in, you're the starter, yeah, and and the job was handed to him right on the NFL draft or even you know the early part of the off season, it'd be a problem. Right now, I think though, you know, he's going to get a chance to get his feet wet and learn the system and be okay. So I found, you know, as a rook, it was way more important to be there. Than it was as a vet because even if I was trying to learn a new playbook as a veteran, I had been exposed to a lot of right. similar stuff in different places. So I, I didn't miss any camp, but this would be like if I had to sit out for injury purposes and I couldn't like be in the, you know, on court stuff because I was over there rehabbing. Um, but as a rook, you know, I'm trying to, I was learning everything on the fly. The game is just played differently. This is purely basketball now. Like, you know, the spacing on pick and roll is different. Like, you right. don't play a lot of pick and roll in college. And so, learning how to play all of that, and I felt like 
the more I missed as a rook, it was it was like it was almost like math class. It was like when you're first being exposed to like algebra. Right. You know, if you're missing days one and two, when you come in at day three, like you're just you're just kind of swimming. You know, you're lost. And so, um, I'm glad that they got it done. Figure I, they they got it figured out earlier rather than later, uh, especially at a position like quarterback. Like you can't afford to miss. Uh, and, and and I will say with uh the the team that he's with. Bridgewater, I don't know very well. Um, I'm assuming he's probably going to be a, a little bit of a mentor. Obviously, his spot on the team and in the league is a little bit different. Josh McCown is one of the best veteran guys you could be with if you're a young quarterback. That's great. He's been on almost every team in the NFL. He's been a mentor to a lot of guys because he's been in this spot. You know, the the, the bridge quarterback. You know, not sure. Uh, obviously, Teddy. You know, to play off names with Bridgewater, but but McCown is the bridge quarterback to a lot of teams. He was expected to be that guy when he came back to the Jets this year. He will definitely mentor uh, mentor Sam Darnold. And I'm curious if they'll take a similar approach. We talked to Will Brinson yesterday. The Browns with the RV, they have the, you know, the quarterbacks kind of camped out outside sure. the facility. I'm sure McCown will, will probably be roommates with Darnold, you know, during camp, or at least they'll spend a lot of time together and he'll help them get, you know, ready for the league. No, that's great. And having a guy in place, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, Danny and I, having a good vet in place for whatever position it is, is critical, uh, or, and ver- or very helpful with breaking guys into the league. And so, you know, it kind of leads me to another question I had about when you, how you handle these rookie quarterbacks and, you know, Everybody's got their opinion on it, but what do you, what do you think? Like, you throw him to the fire? Is it purely situational? Is it dependent on on the guy and his makeup? Like, what, what's your gut in terms of? I, I think it's the latter two things you said. You know, you're looking at the the guy himself. Can he handle it? Um, but if you're spending these high draft picks on these guys, third overall pick for him. You know, Rosen was a top twelve pick. Uh, Josh Allen was a top ten pick. If that's your future, what are you waiting for? You know, now if you have the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre situation, it's different. You know, right. Carson Palmer was allowed to sit behind John Kitna, who was actually playing well at the time for the Bengals. You're, you're able to, you know, sort of give some guys some time. So in this case with the Jets, for example, McCown can get them started, especially if they get off to a good start. You want to see if you can be competitive. You know how the NFL is different than the NBA. Sure. Not, we don't know the Golden State Warriors are winning in the NFL. You know, the, you can say the Patriots, but there's there's different scenarios. I think it's the makeup of the guy. If he's if he shows he handled it and is ready to go. Remember, Sam Darnold's only 20 years old, or at least he was when he was drafted. He may have turned 21 at the time. But you, you saw last year, you know, the the Bears waited a little bit. Mr. Trubisky, he struggled. Um, Dak Prescott, though, we talked about him yesterday a lot. He was ready to go. You know, beat out to, or was able to hold off Tony Romo with a back injury and and played really well as a rookie, number one seed in the NFC. They lost in the in the second round of the playoffs. So every guy is different. Every situation is different. If you have a team in place that's ready to handle a young quarterback, he should be ready to go. Especially if the coach is ready to mold that guy. Okay, so then from a fantasy perspective, like which one of these guys, if you had your pick, would be most ready to compete and produce for you on a fantasy level? So it, it's twofold because if I need somebody for this year, I think Josh Rosen will make the most starts of the rookie quarterback. So okay. over the longevity of the 2018 season, he will give me the most fantasy production. If I'm looking long term, though, it's Mayfield or Lamar Jackson because Mayfield, I think, showed in college he could be a player. And I do think that the Browns will eventually build a successful offense, whether that's a successful team. I like the piece. Sure. Lamar Jackson, though, is the big wild card in this because what he does as a runner, what he does as a thrower, I mean, you don't get that type of production. You know, he's not the same player, but what you've gotten from Michael Vick, what you've gotten, you know, Steve Young back in the day, what you got from Cam Newton, you know, these running quarterbacks give you such an edge in fantasy. If he's ever going to get the chance to start this year, I love it. Next year, for sure, he's going to be a hot traffic. Uh, that's dope because I'm a Lamar Jackson fan, but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see um, how that plays out there in Baltimore, which takes us to our next segment, which is you have to see it. Um, so we have some even better stuff coming out of Jets training camp. Safety Jamal Adams. Uh, awesome. It was awesome, right? Signing a jersey for a big fan. Adams tweeted, one of the best feelings in the world, man. This is the best part of the game of football, being able to be a positive light to someone. This is a moment I'll definitely never forget. Um and I, I look, I love to see guys that get it 
you know, you, he gets it, man. Like that, that's what this is about. That interaction, you'll miss a lot of things, uh, about the N- uh, NFL or, or, or NBA. Like you miss being on the planes, you miss being in a locker room, you miss putting on the show. But what you really miss is like brightening up someone's day like that. And is there, the is there, a, is there a moment for you that stands? I mean, I, I don't know if Jamal Adams will remember this ten years from now, fifteen years from now. I'm sure if somebody reminds him of it, he will. But is there something that stands out for you in interaction with a fan or, or just somewhere you made somebody's day and you knew you made his day or her day? You know, just in that scenario. Mine wasn't a specific like moment like that that's etched in time. But I had a group of fans in Phoenix that were called the Bell Tower. That's awesome. Um, and so every time I would check into the game or check out or make a basket, like they would ring a bell, and they they were these great ladies. Um, you know, in Phoenix, uh, they span different like ages, but they were like, I was connected to them and I'd, I'd spend time with them after games and they would send books for my kids wow. and they would come to my autograph signings. And so my interaction, my family's interaction with that, that group of ladies, um, was something that I'll never forget. And, and so, you know, you, you, you don't know why people kind of gravitate towards said player or, or whatnot, but, but, you know, when they show love like that and you get to know some of them, it's, it's a really cool dynamic and relationship because you don't get to have that like with every, with every fan in the arena. Obviously there are too many of them. So, uh, those, those are moments that I will never, never forget. I'm sure. Um, all right. So we, we went through, you have to see it. So let's go to, you have to hear it. Uh, LeBron James opened a school in his hometown of Akron. Like that, this is another super dope story. Uh, and spoke about why this project and effort was so important to him. So here, let's hear LeBron. Because I know exactly what these 240 kids are going through um i know the streets they walk i know the trials and tribulations that they go through i know the ups the downs i know everything um that they dream about i know all the nightmares that they have because uh because i've been there um i know exactly what they're going through so you know they're the reason why this school um is here today so cool um Look, you can say what you want about LeBron as a player and and all of that, but I I don't think anyone in the NBA touches him in terms of what he contributes to his his hometown, um, what he contributes to kids and their possibilities, their futures, the exposure that they get. Um, and so for that reason, like I look, it even crosses over to the court for me. I give him extra points on his jump shot for stuff like this. Seriously, I I, I agree. You know, uh, and, and you know, you you, you talk about. The, the Jamal Adams thing, and you know, you give players credit for the things that they do in, in that regard and things like this. And being, I was a newspaper guy, uh, before I became a fantasy guy. So before I was at CBS, we don't publicize these things enough. Now, LeBron obviously is getting a lot of it. Sure. Because he's LeBron. You know, he's on a different level. But like one guy I, I've covered since I've become, uh, part of CBS is Anquan Bolden. Yep. I don't know if you know Anquan. Or I do not. know Anquan. He's, uh, He's a resident of Palm Beach County, grew yeah. up in Pahokee, Florida, small, uh, small city, uh, impoverished, I guess is probably sure. the way to describe it. And he, similar to LeBron, uh, does a lot of these type of things. He was the NFL man of the year. I think it was three years ago. These type of things are just such great stories. And the fact that, you know, he's able to use his platform to do stuff like this. And now he's paired with Magic Johnson, who obviously has done a lot of great things for the community as well. It's going to be really awesome to see that partnership yeah how it grows and how it can maybe be beyond akron yeah and the things that he could do globally globally totally um you know i i think and i'm going to take it a little extra long on this one but i think uh it's important because when i played um not only does that mean a lot to the communities that you're working in and the kids there uh, but as athletes sometimes like we provide like our families and my kids a life that 
sometimes is a little surreal. Like it's not real life. It's not what I grew up in. Like LeBron's kids live in a world that he didn't grow up in. And I felt like when my wife would go out and partner with these different like shelters and, 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 um, and, you know, entities in whatever city we were in and we would do holiday things and spend time with the kids and get to know them and talk to them and share gifts and provide meals. Like that meant a lot to those kids. It meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to my kids too, you know, because I would take them and, and, and this was, this was like another perspective, you know, like giving a kid a whole well-rounded view of what the world is about, not just keeping them in their little bubble. And so, you know, more NBA, MLB, uh, NFL guys uh, need to really get in and get their hands dirty, take their families with them um, and, and expose everyone to the different, the other side of the coin, if you will, you know? So I think it's really cool, LeBron. It's uh, great but, that you do that also. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I, you know, LeBron gets it. My wife got it. She helped me get it. You know, it's, it's, it's responsibility. You know, you have a responsibility to community, uh, to help out if you can. And so look, dude, LeBron's moving out west. We got that coming up next. Um, we're going to get to an interview, uh, to talk about these MLB deadline, the trade deadline. That's all up next on off the bench with Canel and Bell. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. It's now time to read and react. Roger, you right. ready to uh, react to these stuff that we're Yes, reading? as long as you're reading. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's go. So LeBron James reveals the teams that he considered aside from the Lakers, and he talked at his opening of the I Promise School in Akron that he looked at the Rockets, the Sixers, and also returning to Cleveland. And here's what he had to say. He said, I did my due diligence after the season on the pros and cons on a lot of different teams, including the Cavs and including Philadelphia, including Houston and Los Angeles. So it wasn't as quick as it may seem. It just wasn't July 9th like it was before. So after talking to my family more than anybody, I felt like this was the next step in my journey. So obviously, he, I don't know if he met with members of the Sixers, of the Rockets, and you know I'm sure obviously the Cavs, but uh, it seemed as if Los Angeles was the destination all along, but maybe not. Maybe he actually did consider looking at some of these other squads. I think that he looked at these squads, but I think that L.A. was always um, the one. And I had said during the process that I thought I could see him going back to Cleveland, but seeing the way things have kind of unfolded and played out there in Los Angeles, this was always the situation that was going to take place. Um, I mean, he's got a new deal, I think, with HBO. Um, yeah, I think he got movie right. Like he's got so many things in place ready to go in Los Angeles that usually take like months and months and months worth of meetings to cultivate. This is always, this was always the plan. The plan was to go to LA and wind up there, uh, with magic. Um, and I would imagine, I don't know this for a fact, and I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. Uh, I have no evidence. But they had already talked about the plan and the process right. that it was going to take. Plan A was obviously trying to get Paul George and Kawhi, and Plan B would be the one which they're operating under right now, which is if we can't get anyone else to pair with you, I'll supplement around the edges with some of these vets. We'll have a lot of flexibility cap-wise next summer, a lot of young assets to go out and trade um, if that would entice teams. And so we'll, we'll, we'll chalk it up for one year, understanding that you didn't get it done in, in Miami or Cleveland the second time in the first year anyway. So let's, let's go after it uh, in year two. I did think that Philadelphia was a possibility. I knew, uh, I knew that there could be an overlap there with him and um, the young kid Ben Simmons yep. and skill sets. And um, although I think you still have to take a swing at that if you're Philly, I don't know if LeBron. I think LeBron respects his competitors and his young fellas too much to go in there and take the shine and the opportunity to be a star away from Ben Simmons. Um, I really thought he could wind up staying in Cleveland. I just did. I didn't. I, you know, I didn't. It's hard to leave home sometimes, and he did it once. And I, you know, I discounted how much freedom that these guys have now and and 
I don't want to say that there's no allegiance, but it's a different type of allegiance sure. now, right? They're, they are bought in while they're there. They're invested. But the ability to move and the flexibility to get up and bounce is so much greater than it was when we played. We we were made to feel like obligated to kind of stay different places. These guys don't feel like that now. So in retrospect, I think it was always the Lakers. But real quick, because you, you, you talked about that the, the movie stuff and everything that he's doing off the court. Basketball-wise, though, would it have been better for him to be paired with Simmons and Embiid or to go to Houston with Harden and, and Chris Paul just from the standpoint of, his legacy is established. I mean, he's either going to be one or two, sure, depending on who you ask. But a couple more championships would probably be more realistic. Maybe those other two spots, at least right away. I know we talked about yesterday that he's going to win there eventually, or at least has a chance to win there. But those other two teams seem a little bit better situational, situationally, situationally. The situation is yes. better for those guys. Yes, now I can't talk. No. Situation better for, the, for <laughs> those other two teams. I'm rubbing off on you. Um, <laughs> I think if I'm slotting them, that you know. Obviously, pairing with Chris Paul and James Harden from a star power perspective, that gives you the best chance. Like that, that, that alone. The problem with that is you've got to strip so much stuff from your roster surrounding those other two guys. Like Capella's probably gone. Capella's gone. Um, you don't, you don't have the shoot. Eric Gordon's got to be gone. Like you don't have the shooting in place and all three of you need the ball to play. Like if you think Ben Simmons needs the ball, like James Harden is Ben Simmons, like, quadrupled you know he has to have the ball in his hands it's probably the highest usage rate behind Westbrook in the NBA and so like that just takes away from what Le- Le- LeBron is not and there are very few things that he is not he is not a spot of shooter and so that's not really going to work I thought that the Sixers again could really figure some stuff out with that with Embiid that's not a duplication of LeBron um I think Ben Simmons can work a little bit out of the mid post and kind of post the ball and he slashes. You could have two playmakers out there on the perimeter. Uh, I don't know what their shooting situation looks like, but you could make the argument that in, in, in the short term that one of those two teams were better positioned to maybe win a championship. The problem is I don't know that any of them were going to be good enough to beat Golden State. Right. If you don't maybe know. Houston. Maybe, but, maybe. Right. maybe. Um, but I think LA with all of the young pieces that they have, um, you're still kind of figuring out who's going to be what. There are some pieces that do fit with what LeBron wants to do. And if you can find that next superstar in the next year, um, I think that that's probably the best place. It's all said and done. Let's go now from the NBA to the, uh, the NFL slash NCAA because we're talking about Baker Mayfield leaving Oklahoma, yeah. going to the Browns, and he's got a, a docuseries coming out on Fox Sports. Uh, in that docuseries, he reveals he didn't have the best relationship with uh, Oklahoma coach at the time. I'm sorry, Texas Tech coach at the time, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, that's a tough name to yeah. pronounce. So that's why he left uh, Texas Tech to go to Oklahoma. So in the docuseries, he reveals, uh, and this is a quote, all of a sudden, it was as if I hadn't played for him, hadn't done anything for him. It was just different after I got hurt. So Mayfield uh, kind of laying out why he did not stay at Texas Tech and why he went to Oklahoma. You talked about this yesterday, that you didn't have the best relationship with the new coaching staff that came in when you were, I guess, what, your freshman year? Or, yeah. or after they recruited you, right? Yeah, at Boston University. Um, so how did that all unfold for you and just the 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 – when there's a difference of opinion with the head coach, and you obviously stuck it out, yeah, um, where Baker didn't de- didn't decide to stay well, after leaving, I actually wound up leaving after my second year, though. Okay, like it just and so this kind of speaks to Baker's situation. Like once you get now, I wasn't hurt. Um, my situation was actually a little different in that I was backing up a guy who wound up getting hurt as a freshman, um, and then I took his job and I started. Um, for the, the next two years at Boston University, but I was always a little sideways with my coaches and that, and that's kind of what it sounds like here with Baker and Cliff Kingsbury. And once you get sideways with the coach in college, it's tough. I mean, it's tough at the pro level, but you're both grown men. And so 
you know, with a little more perspective and a little bit more maturity, you tend to figure things out. You're both making money. You're professionals. You, you get, you figure out how to make it work and have a working relationship. You know, it's tough when you're 17 years old, sometimes 18 years old. You think you know a lot. Um, and you have a coach that, that doesn't necessarily understand maybe where you come from or who you are. Um, and you feel like you're just being preached to or you're being held back in some situations. Um, and you just don't have the perspective to, to be able to figure things out. Now, for me, it was the right move. Like I, I would have never had the opportunities that I had if I stayed at Boston University. Like I would have had, um, you know, different friends and I wouldn't have met my wife. And I don't know if there would have been an opportunity uh, for me to go to the pros, which is kind of why I left because I was, we talked about this, this, this grown man of a, of a sophomore that was there last year, the one that I ran right. after with a chair. He had been rookie of the year, uh, the year before I got there. I was rookie of the year after him. Um, but he was just a much better player in that league than I was because of his physical stature. So he gave us the best chance to win. The ball was his. Uh, but I, then it left me with one year as a senior to really do something. And I wanted more on my plate. And this guy just kept trying to recruit over me and recruit over me and recruit over me. And, you know, I've talked on air about he bring in recruits that played in my position and, and asked me to take him out. And, and, <laughs> and I just didn't think he really had much regard for me, you know. And so when you see a guy, he proves it over and over again. Um, like sometimes it is better for a kid to just get up and leave. And so it takes me to another subject when I talk about like allowing kids the flexibility to get up and leave a situation. Like these are he's an adult, like he's a grown man and he's got a job and he's making a lot of money. I'm a kid and I'm trying to like. Learn and grow and learn and set up my future. So I don't agree with locking a kid in to a situation like the one I was in that was not a fit for me. It was clear that the coaching staff didn't like me. Um, I, I probably my share, my, I had my part in that, but why not let me go find a situation that's better for me? This guy's already making $500,000 a year. Like I'm just trying to get a degree and figure out what I'm going to do with right. my life. Like don't lock these kids in. And so when I left, he really did his best to like screw me. Like he did. Um, and every team that called me after that, um, you know, they call me and then they call him and cause they wouldn't give me a blanket release. Like it was set up to where if I needed a release. They'd have to call the coach and they'd have to give the okay for the release. Like I got crushed and it all worked out for me. I wound up at FIU and you know, the rest is history, but I'm, I'm always going to side with the players and kids in a situation like that. I don't love that these grown men who not, aren't always the best dudes in the world dictate, you know, the way someone's life is going to play out. Yeah. Especially when they're taking those phone calls on your behalf and right. the hope would be is that they're speaking well, but sometimes it's not always the case. Uh, speaking of not staying with teams, uh, we go now to, the Raiders and Packers situation, and uh, Jordy Nelson was let go by Green Bay. Uh, he actually talked about this yesterday, saying that he was surprised how this all thing unfolded for him. Uh, but Derek Carr, now his new quarterback, is excited that Jordy Nelson part of the Raiders organization. And Carr had this to say about Jordy. He said, I can't say enough good things. I can't believe Green Bay let him go, but I'm glad he's here. The thing that you hear about that he can't run anymore, that's false. I can tell you he's one of the fastest skill guys that we have still. He can run. You see that by his route running. If he can win on underneath routes, that means DBs are scared about what he can do over the top. He's still Jordy Nelson, that's for sure. So we could talk about an hour about Jordy Nelson because I have a lot of opinions on how the Packers used him and what the situation is. But the Packers, by letting him go, they freed up $10 million in cap space this offseason. He's 33. He's entering his 11th season in the NFL. And last year, now granted, you have to sort of put an asterisk by it because Aaron Rodgers missed nine games because of the broken collarbone. But he played in 15 games, 53 catches, 482 yards, and six touchdowns. And I believe four of those touchdowns came in the early part of the season while Rodgers was still healthy. But in 2016, he scored 14 touchdowns. He missed 
the 2015 season with a torn ACL. So I think he can't run to the same level anymore. It's just unfortunate. This happens. The NFL wide receivers, I don't know if there's a position in the NBA you could compare it to. They fall off a cliff. You know, they hit 31, 32. We've seen it. Andre Johnson is yeah. a good example. You know, guy down in South Florida that you sure. probably have followed, played at the University of Miami, Houston Texans. Um, I think he's replacing a guy that wasn't all that fast to begin with, Michael Crabtree in Oakland. Um, he's playing opposite Amari Cooper. They have a speedster in Martavis Bryant who they traded for in the NFL draft, but uh, I'm hoping that he's still a Jordy Nelson because what I do fantasy wise, it'd be great that he's, you know, back to being that guy, you know, double digit touchdowns, but I just don't see it. Yeah. Um, well, you would be able to speak to him more than me, so go ahead. I'll give you the, well, no, I, 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 the, the Packers didn't exactly use him. They don't use their receivers the right way. They make Aaron Rodgers have to do a lot of things to make that offense successful. Uh, we'll see if Derek Carr could do a lot of those same things. But I, I think the better question, you know, to, to you as an athlete is when guys hit a certain age, I don't know if in the NBA there isn't an, uh, an age, you know, running backs, it's 30, receivers, it's in their early 30s. Um, have you experienced this, you know, when, toward the end of your career? Did you feel like, okay, I'm, a, I'm not the same guy? And have you seen guys that you played with that have maybe sort of hit that wall a little bit and they're just trying to push through? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if it's an age as much as it's like an odometer. Like, you know, you have like this certain amount of miles because guys come in at different ages into the NBA. So once you get a certain amount of NBA wear and tear on your body, yeah, people, you could start to see guys slow down a little bit. And I, you know, we're all like that. I was like that. Like, you know, when I was in Utah, um, my first year back from injury, I signed with Utah. I didn't play great, but I chalked it up to like, you know, I'm coming off of this injury. I don't have my legs. You're how old at the time? I was probably like 32, 33. Um, but I didn't, you know, it, it was, it was obvious to probably other people that I was slowing down. But to me, I had said like, you know, this is, I coming off an injury. I didn't play last year. I just need to get my legs under me and so on and so forth. So I went back to the drawing board that next year, came in and had a fabulous camp and preseason. Like everybody was like, this is, he's back. We're ready to go. Peak Roger. And you know, just getting injured again, got a groin pull, like things start to go just a little sideways in terms of your health. And that's, that's that age, right? right. Like it starts to creep up on you. Um, and we kind of talked about it the other day about Mello and other people. Like, you're not, you don't see that. Everybody else sees that. But in your head, you are who you are. So yeah, it happens to NBA guys. Um, and what you have to do if you're a good player is like, like Vince Carter, you kind of reinvent yourself as a player. You figure out, all right, well, maybe I can't put my elbows on the rim anymore if I'm Vince Carter, but right. you know, I can do this. And then, you know, you compensate for some of that lack of like speed and, and, and vertical ability with like mental, like, uh, preparation and, and tricks of the trade and a little bit of more savvy and gamesmanship. And so the really good ones can figure out how to like stretch a career and play, you know, further and further than you ever thought they could with, with things like that. It's not necessarily the physical, but it's the mental part of the game. Uh, I heard Dirk Nowitzki in an interview the other day and somebody asked him just speaking to Vince Carter, who, who ends their career first, Carter or, or, or Dirk? Dirk. Yeah. I think Dirk's going to end it first. I think Vince just seems like he wants to play. I saw th- something the other day that said, could he be the first player to play in like four decades? In the NBA, and I think I spoke to him in Cleveland. I don't know, like three or four years ago. I saw him at finals game, and I said something to him like, "Like, damn, bro, you're still like you're still out here doing it." He was like, "Yo, I'm gonna do it until they don't let me do it." <laughs> so I think his, he's gonna play until they kick him out. Wow, well, he'll uh, be in his fit. He'll be like, "What was it, Uncle Drew?" Yeah, it'd be like Uncle Drew, <laughs> Uncle Drew, Uncle Drew Carter. All right, we're now gonna go to uh, picks and props with our buddy Debo. So uh, I guess this is a segment you guys do where. It looks like he's kicking your butt. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gambling yeah. involved, Jamie. So yes, uh, kicking his butt is a, is a relative term, but I am leading Raja. 2012 and one so far. Raja is 12, eight and one. Missed a lot of the World Cup picks. Danny said we are going to reset for football season. That's yet to be determined, but Jamie has yet to make a pit. 
He's going to get that chance now, and we're going to start him off, of course, with baseball. There's some intrigue around the Nationals and Bryce Harper. If he will indeed still be on the Nationals roster, let alone in the Nationals lineup tonight against the Mets, but that is the pick today. Nationals minus one and a half versus the lowly New York Mets. So I don't think we're going to talk to R.J. Anderson in a minute, our, our our baseball guy here at CBS Sports, or one of our baseball guys at CBS Sports. I think he's going to, I think Harper stays with the Nationals, and I think Passing the trade deadline, he comes out two home runs. Yeah, and the Nationals win. So I'm going to take the Nationals here. I kind of agree with you. I don't. I I think he's going to be pissed off and fired up. I think it'll. The Nationals, they aren't out of it. Like academically, they're not out of it, are they? It's baseball. No one's ever out of it. About right. seven and a half back in the NL East. Yeah, they got so 15 wild card spots. Yeah, all right. Like, I, I think I think I'll take the Nationals to cover. I think the Mets aren't very good. Sorry, Mike. I'm going to keep fading you, Rajat, and I'm going to go with the Mets. Our prop today, like the great journalistic creatures they are, TMZ Sports caught up with Austin Rivers to ask about his father-son duo with his dad, Doc, who he played for for a couple of years. But they asked him about Bronny and his relationship with his famous dad, LeBron. Uh, not exactly the comparison I think of when iconic uh, father-son duos, but Austin had some pretty good advice saying, be yourself. My prop here is... A lot of people think LeBron James Jr. is going to get to the NBA. Austin Rivers already in the NBA, so he has an advantage here. Austin Rivers' career NBA points minus 2,000 versus LeBron James Jr. career points. This is basically asking, do you think he'll ever make it to the league? Do I think Bronny will make it to the league? Essentially, that's the question. Yeah, I I'm think. asking you if a seventh grader will make it to the league. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I think I think he will. I think he'll wind up. I think, um, look... He's LeBron James's son. So if he continues to play basketball and he's like okay in high school and he's decent in college, someone is going to give him a look. I don't know that he'll wind up being like a 15-year NBA guy. I don't know if he'll wind up being a superstar. But do I think a seventh grader uh, will make it to the NBA? Um, the only seventh grader that I could tell you will probably make the NBA is LeBron James' seventh grader. LeBron's going to own a team by then. He will – Pick his son. Yes, correct. He will sign his son. Correct. He will have his son on his own team. So, and, and he's talked about maybe playing with his son. Yes. You know, so. They're going to make that happen. Yes. So he'll be Vince Carter. He'll be playing for four days. <laughs> we'll have his son as his teammate or as. Hey, take my son too. <laughs> that, that would be great. Take my son too. <laughs> while, while we're at it, let's just take everybody. Debo, I don't know if you have kids yet or not, but we'll take hey, your kids too eventually yeah. when they have them, when you have them as well. So, all right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by RJ Anderson of CBS Sports. We're going to break down this MLB trade deadline. Big day in baseball, Raja. So. Hopefully RJ can uh, hook us up with some of that inside details and see maybe who the trade deadline winners and, unfortunately, some of the trade deadline losers are. So stay right here to Off the Bench with Canelo and Bell. All right. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Canelo and Bell. Uh, we've got a guest today. It's MLB Trade Deadline Day. And uh, we've got RJ Anderson who covers Major League Baseball for CBSSports.com. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. Um, so let's just get right into it. The big story of the day, I guess, is how likely is it that Bryce Harper gets dealt? I think there's a realistic chance that it does happen because, you know, Mike Rizzo is one of the best general managers in baseball, but he's also one of the boldest and if ownership is pushing him to cut salary, and if Rizzo has determined that this team just doesn't have a chance to put it all together and be competitive, uh, you know, the rest of the way and perhaps win that division, then sure, it makes sense. Now, the question is whether he's going to be able to put something together in, you know, a couple hours' time and whether any team out there will actually offer the package that he deems worthy of trading Harper. But uh, one thing to watch here is, you know, it's not a given that the Nationals are going to get good draft pick compensation if they allow Harper 
to stay in town and walk at year's end because of their luxury tax situation. So they actually have a little more incentive to deal him if they think they're not going to be competitive the rest of the way than they would for a normal team, like perhaps, you know, the Orioles with Manny Machado, who would have received a better draft pick had they just kept him and let him walk at season's end. So I guess I'm still a little skeptical because of the fact that I think that Nationals team is still probably the most talented on paper in the National League East. But, you know, they haven't played well all year, and we're at the point now where, you know, realistically you have to weigh these things, and I guess it wouldn't surprise me because of how they played and because of Rizzo's reputation as being so uh, bold and, you know, being so willing to take these big moves and just go for it, you know? All right, RJ. So if they, in fact, do trade Bryce Harper, he is going to be a free agent after the season. There is some speculation that if he's moved, he could return to the Nationals if, in fact, you know, he decides that the offer is fair and they want to bring him back. So what would that scenario be like, and do you see that as a possibility? Well, we've seen it happen, you know, in recent years. For instance, a couple of uh, deadlines ago, the Yankees traded Aurelis Chapman to the Cubs. That winner, he was a free agent, and he came right back to New York. Uh, I don't know how likely it is that Harper would return to Washington because I don't know how likely it is that Harper would return to Washington even if he stayed there all season long. I would say that there are a couple of things working in the Nationals' favor that I don't think get discussed enough. And number one among those is the fact that Scott Boris, who is Harper's agent, has a very, very good relationship with the Nationals' owners, learners. You know, in the past, we've seen that Boris has basically advised the learners to tank, and they kind of took his advice, and they bottomed out, and they uh, got the number one pick in back-to-back years, which landed them Harper and also landed them Steven Strasburg. Beyond that, we've also seen the learners and Boris come together to make deals, even uh, you know, kind of behind their general manager's back. And Max Scherzer is an example of that, where the learners are the ones who signed Max Scherzer. It wasn't necessarily Mike Rizzo. So I think the Nationals have a better chance at signing Harper and a lot of us get some credit for, but at the same time, you know, the Nationals, uh, they actually have, you know, some pretty good outfield depth. You know, they have Adam Eaton, they have Juan Soto, who's put himself on the map this year, and they have a guy named Victor Robles, who was actually considered a better prospect than Soto entering the season. So it's possible they just decide, you know what, for as good as Harper is, and for as much as we love having him around, we might actually be better off if we use the money that could go to him elsewhere on our ball club. So, like I said, better chance than I think most you know, give him credit for, but I'm not sure it's necessarily likely to happen. RJ, how much better, uh, let's shift gears here, how much better do you think the Yankees have gotten over the past week? Obviously, uh, they have to deal with the, you know, the Aaron Judge injury, but they added uh, Jay Happ and Lance Lynn. So how much better do you think they got? I think they got better. You know, I think Jay Happ actually gets slept on a little bit. I've seen a lot of Yankee fans who aren't so happy about that, and I understand that he's not the front of the rotation, you know, ace that uh, fans want. But at the same time, you know, this guy has a track record for years now of being an above-average starting pitcher. And even if you think he's lost a step or two and he's just average now, that's better than the alternative the Yankees had. Now with the Lynn deal and the Adam Warren trade, that's a little tougher for me to rationalize. I guess the Yankees see something in Lynn or believe that he can get back to being what he used to be, which was an average or better mid-rotation starter. And if they're right, well, they just added you know, two mid-rotation or better starters in that, you know, a time span of, what, a week or so without really giving a ton up. Now, you know, Adam Warren, they kind of gave him away for international bonus money, and you can view that one of two ways. You can view it as the Yankees giving him away. You can also view it as the Yankees making the best of their bullpen duff and also gaining an asset that they can use to help replenish their farm system. And, you know, that front office is 
arguably the best in the game. They're so good at drafting. They're so good at developing guys. And they're very good at analytics. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, all that played into these deals and they see a little chicken left on the bone, to borrow a saying from Joe Madden in both cases, where they can maybe get half and get uh, Lynn to perform even better than they have so far this season. So, RJ, obviously Bryce Harper is the, uh, the big name that we're following today on the trade deadline, but Chris Archer not that far behind, and, and the Yankees a team that might still be looking at him, but uh, the Padres also. Uh, it sounds like that deal may be falling through, or at least potential deal. So what's the market for Chris Archer, and do you see him getting dealt today by the race? Man, that's a tough one, too, because I'm a skeptic. I've been basically telling myself that I'll believe they'll deal Archer when they deal Archer. At the same time, I've heard that, yeah, the talks are more serious and they're a little bit more inclined to deal him than they have in uh, past years. As far as what the market looks like, you know, you mentioned the Padres, and it doesn't seem like San Diego necessarily wants to give up what the Rays want them to give up in order to make a deal. And then you look around the league, and I would presume that Milwaukee could be involved here. You mentioned the Yankees. I'm certain they've made the call. And there are other teams. I mean, the Braves, if they really want to go for it, they would make sense. Uh, and, you know, you can just keep going around the league. You know, Billy Bean in Oakland, they always seem to make a bold move. I don't think they're necessarily likely to be involved here, but that would be fun. And, you know, Archer is a very interesting pitcher because we just saw this winner when the Pirates traded Garrett Cole to Houston that sometimes these guys who seem to have stalled developmentally or have maybe taken a step back or underperformed compared to their stuff and the expectations around them, Maybe that you know change of scenery, that change of coaching advice or what have you, can really make a difference. And Chris Archer, in addition to having a load of talent, is also you know arguably the best ambassador for baseball. He is a very bright, very you know admirable young man. And so whatever team does go out there and get him is getting not only a guy who has front of the rotation potential, but also a face of the franchise potential. So I suspect that a lot of teams are interested in him, and I suspect that. He's going to get dealt at some point in the next year. I just don't know if it'll be today or come November or December. All right, RJ, let's let's move on to a subject, uh, uh, a topic that we call superlatives, right? So this is going to be pretty rapid fire. We're going to give you a question, and you just give us first thing that comes to mind. So uh, first one is which team should be most aggressive on on Tuesday? The Brewers. Which team can most afford to sit back on Tuesday? The Astros. All right, best ever deadline day deal. So you got Manny to the Dodgers, Randy Johnson to the Astros, Nomar to Cubs, Cespedes to the Mets, or something else that 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 the best one you that you remember. Uh, geez, uh, man, I almost want to say Verlander to the Astros because of how well that worked out. So I'll throw that out there. I don't know if it is, but I'll throw that one out there. It, it, it certainly works. But that was actually it. after the deadline, though. So wow, that's oh, true. Wow. All right, speaking of deadline, who who's the biggest winner so far of the trades that have been made? Uh, I really like what the Braves have done. All uh, right, the winner. I think the Dodgers are. And getting Machado certainly is a is a big thing for for them. Yeah, there we. RJ, thanks for coming on with us, man, and breaking on uh, breaking down today's uh, trade deadline. We really appreciate it. Thanks, RJ. Of course, thanks for having me, guys. Time now for your refresh. Sam Darnold's holdout is over. The former USC quarterback signed his rookie deal on Monday and reported to training camp after missing the first three days. Darnold was the Jets' first-round pick and will get $30.25 million over four years, fully guaranteed. 
LeBron James seriously considered joining the Sixers and the Rockets before signing with the Lakers. In an interview with ESPN, James addressed his options before L.A., saying that he thought long and hard about the possibilities of lining up with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid or James Harden and Chris Paul. Baker Mayfield proved that it wasn't all smooth sailing for the star quarterback in his college career. He went 5-0 and as a starter at Texas Tech before suffering a knee injury, and he said that's when things took a turn. Mayfield said, quote, all of a sudden it was as if I hadn't played for Coach Kingsbury, hadn't done anything for him. Texas Tech didn't offer Mayfield a scholarship for his sophomore season, so he transferred to Oklahoma. That was your refresh. Now time for Socially Relevant, where I break down everything that's happening around the world in social media. So first things first, Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown have connected nearly 700 times on an NFL field. And it looks like they may be able to carry that down for the next generation to come. Check this out. Yeah. After training camp practice on Sunday, Big Ben and AB stuck around a bit, played with their kids. That's Big Ben's son throwing to AB's son. That was oh. a thing of beauty. Luckily... They got that all on Instagram. Raja, this is why you need to get your kids more active on Instagram. <laughs> I know, right? This is so cool, though. That was like my the, one of my regrets was leaving the NBA. My kids were this age, but they didn't get to they didn't get to be in the locker room as like ten and eleven year olds and and meet the guys. Like it's so cool when I see guys kids out there on the field with them. That's awesome, though. I mean, <laughs> the fact that that's a great throw. A good throw, yeah. Some NFL a, quarterbacks that can't make that throw and an over the shoulder catch. Most like my six year old can't make an over the shoulder catch right now. That's awesome. All right, so over in Tennessee, the Titans' official Instagram posted a photo of their running back duo. And let's just say there was a big difference between Derrick Henry and new addition Deion Lewis. Henry's listed at 6'3", 247. Lewis listed at 5'8", 195. Guys, this is essentially a live look in at uh, Jamie Eisenberg and Raja Bell getting ready for off the bed. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> I got to tell you, there, there's a, a, a Twitter handle. I think it's at, at NFL Memes. Yeah. And there's about five or six photos of them, like, doing drills together and stuff like this. He looks like a kid. I know, dude. <laughs> and he's older than him. So I, I spoke to uh, Delaney Walker, Pro Bowl tight end for the Titans at, at the Pro Bowl, and I asked him just about Henry because at the time they didn't have Deion Lewis, but DeMarco Murray was expected to leave. And I said, what's it like to look eye to eye with a running back? He goes, he's bigger than me. Yeah. He's a tight end. Guy's he's huge. a monster, this guy. And Deion Lewis, you know the amazing thing? They were almost back to back in yards after contact. So as big as Henry is, you expect him to drag guys. Yeah. Deion Lewis, also same thing, did not go down after first hit. Pretty dope. Jamie, I'm sorry I threw you under the bus there. <laughs> you can be back later. I'm, I'm, I'm a little guy. <laughs> You'll be right. playing with your hair later. I'm oh, gonna, yeah, I'll, that's I'll true. Make money. <laughs> All right, guys, that was your Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Off the Bench. Raja, what's coming up next? Uh, Jamie, have you ever wanted to hear Jim Harbaugh's hot takes on chicken? No, but I'm sure he will. Well, regardless, uh, that's next in topic. Stay tuned to Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. It is time for topics, and a salacious headline for this first topic could read, Jim Harbaugh has hot takes on chicken. Well, former Michigan quarterback Wilton Spate did this interview, and he unveiled that Harbaugh told him not to eat chicken because, quote, it's a nervous bird. Raja, is this why you don't eat chicken? I, yeah, that's it. That's it. I was ahead of uh, Jim Harbaugh on this take. No, I don't eat chicken because I don't like chicken. Like, it's chewy. It feels like like when I chew it, it's like... Like that, you know how you get that. I don't like chicken. I do like chicken skin though. Okay. Like with fried chicken or like Chick Fil A or Kentucky Fried. Like I like the fried outside, but I don't like the chicken. So you would go to Chick Fil A, get get a chicken sandwich, throw away the chicken. No, I wouldn't go to Chick Fil A other than to get the waffle fries. But gotcha. when I take my kids to Chick Fil A and they have like the nuggets and stuff, like I want all the crumbs that are in the box after gotcha. the, after the nuggets are gone. Okay. Normally, Danny has the hot takes, but I feel like that might. 
be one there. All right. Uh, <laughs> next topic. Uh, coming soon. The Rick Pitino memoir set to hit shelves in September where the disgraced coach will lay the cards out on the table. If this one doesn't interest you, what memoir would you read? Uh, I'm in on this one. It provided he's going to give like all of the, the details. Like I, w- I want to see what was going on inside some of those. Uh, Cause I've long felt that the best teams in like football and basketball, like it's, it's hard to be as good as these guys are for years and years and years without Doing something dirty, and I want the dirt, so I'm in on this. You would hope that now that he's done coaching, and to try and make some money selling the book, yeah, he's got to give something. Yep, that's what he's got to give, along with some of the other things that's probably gone on in Rick Pitino's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in. I, I want to hear this. What about you, Debo? What other what other memoir would you want to? I mean, I've read the Raja Bell memoir, Seven Seconds for Less. It's basically <laughs> all about your life. Tune in next Wednesday. Uh, I want to get to this final topic. We got about 30 seconds left, but over the weekend again, TMZ they asked Shaq if he was going to return to the NBA, join up with LeBron. He said no, but he talked to Kobe, and he thinks Kobe might. Now that's a little bit of a lie. Um, but when's the last time you think Shaq talked to Kobe? Last time I think Shaq talked to Kobe? Um, whenever they were forced to be in the same room with each, with each other, I don't know, they did that sit-down around All-Star break, was it? Um, if they've been in a room with each other since then, they've talked. If they haven't been in a room with each other since then, I don't think they've talked. Yeah, uh, next thing, maybe? I mean, who knows? Yeah, anyway, who knows? Hopefully I'll get to talk to you soon. Some yeah, more. Fun. Like, uh, I really appreciate you coming out and hanging out with thanks us. Thanks for having me. Um, you guys, thanks for listening. This is Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Listen, subscribe, go follow us wherever you can find your podcast or wherever you get them. I'm Roland Dolo from the rest of the week for the rest of the week. Thanks again, bro. My pleasure. Thank you.